Today I have a message that is on my heart that I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit to take these words and bring life to them and speak to us here today. And so hopefully you received some sermon notes when you came in. If not, you can raise your hand. The ushers will get those to you. I'm going to talk about five traits of a disciple. Not that there are only five traits by any means, but I've got about 30 minutes, and that's all I've got time for. So uh, in, in, our, in our teaching, in what we do in our mission school in Nepal, uh, we spend about six months going into the traits of a disciple. And so we'll by no means cover them all this morning. But I wanted to pull out a few this morning that I think I have seen has been incredibly relevant for my own walk. Things that I've had to grow in to be able to function in the role that God has called me to, and that role is as a disciple. I've had many people come to me over the years and said, Jack, what are you? Are you a, are you a pastor? Are you an evangelist? What, are you a missionary? What are you? And my greatest claim that I could ever hope to achieve is that of disciple. If I can, if I can wear that that tag and wear it in a biblical sense, then I will have lived up to a high standard. And so that is my goal. And so uh, when we, you know, the Bible has so much to to speak to us about discipleship. Uh, But when Jesus got his people together, his band of disciples, and specifically in Luke chapter 9, when he told them, if anybody wants to come after me, follow me, he presented a choice to them. It was an option to them then what you need to do is take up your cross, deny your self-life, and follow me. You have to lose everything. And as you lose everything in this world, you gain life. And he began to define what it meant to be a real disciple. And uh, I have found this, that in following Christ, wherever he may have us, but the path that he has me on, I've seen some distinct characteristics of the road that he goes down. And when we say that we're going to follow Christ, that means that we're tracking him where he's going and we're following him. And I've learned this, that Christ always heads for the darkness. He always heads for those who are sitting in darkness because it's there that he desires to bring a great light. Christ always heads toward those who are enslaved and enshackled by sin and slavery by the enemy because his desire is to bring freedom to their lives. And so by following Christ, it puts us on a trajectory towards the darkest regions of this world. It puts us on a trajectory to those who are being tormented by the evil one, enslaved by him by sin, because God wants to use our lives to liberate them from the darkness that holds them and bring life to those who need life. Following Christ will lead us not down a comfortable path. He doesn't lead us down a path of safety. Sorry. He doesn't lead us down necessarily a path of comfort. The path that he leads us down is an arduous path And that is why he presents to his disciples that the qualifications for following me down this path is the abandonment of your own life, of your own ambitions, of your own desires. It is an extinguishing of those by the power of the cross. And it is a taking on of my yoke. It is a taking on of my life. And where I go, there you are to follow me. And so... 
in, in my life and how this is playing out over the years, I have found myself in very dark places. I mean, incredibly dark places where martyrdom is rife, where the, the practice of pagan religions is high, where sacrifices are being made all around me, and where there is no knowledge of Jesus Christ, any specific revelation of Jesus Christ, where his name has never been heard, where there is no church, there is no Bible, there is no pastor, there is no Christian. Those are the places where I have found Christ has led me. And in those places, you are confronted with real challenges real quick. You've either got something inside of you that you can draw from and give to that place. You've either got light inside of you or you are quickly revealed for the imposter that you are. And I've been there before. Or... You fall on your knees and you call upon God and you say, God, bring something out of my life that brings glory to your name. And I have found that that's actually a great place to live. (laughs) Because it keeps us ever so dependent on the power of God and we quickly know that it is not of ourselves. And that's a good place to be. That is the road in the life of a disciple. And if you're living life, if you've got what it takes in your own strength and ability to get done what you feel like you've got to do in this world, and you can invite God in occasionally when you hit a problem, or you can invite him into a space that we call church on a Sunday morning, but the rest of the time you can pretty much get through on your own strength and power, then my friends, I believe it would be time to examine yourselves and see whether or not you are in the faith. Can I be bold this morning? Can I speak directly to you this morning? The road that Christ leads us down will lead us down into some dark and treacherous places. And there, the gospel has the power of God unto salvation to bring healing and hope and liberty to those who are held captive. And so these five traits that I'm going to go through very quickly here this morning are lessons that I have learned. And I would love to say that I have graduated from and I've moved on to another set of traits, but the reality is, is that these are habitual practices that are required as a lifestyle of a disciple to constantly be living on reliance on Christ in me for his power to be revealed so that glory can come to the name of God through all peoples in this world. Trait number one, disciples must dig their own wells. If you're filling in the blanks, the statements, the word for this morning is dig, D-I-G. We have a story here. It's the story of Isaac, and it's found in Genesis chapter 26. Isaac was the son of Abraham. God came to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, you know the story, and promised him, swore an oath to him, that through him all the families of the earth would be blessed. 
that he would bring great increase to his life, and that he would lack in nothing. We know the the test and the trials of Abraham, that even though Abraham's body was as dead and that of his his wife's womb was dead, uh, Abraham did not stagger at the promises of God through unbelief, but he grew strong believing that what God had promised, God would bring to pass. And because of that faith, Abraham was declared righteous, and he became the father of our faith. And in that same way of believing God, you and I now inherit the promises of God. We inherit the riches and treasures of Abraham by believing in God. Abraham opened up a covenant with God, and his son Isaac inherited all of those blessings. Not only did he receive and inherit the spiritual covenant that his father Abraham uh, 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 made with God, but he received the very natural blessings that his father Abraham had accumulated in his life. The wealth, the cattle, the farms, the land, the watering rights, all of these things, Isaac, in a sense, did not have to lift a finger Isaac simply by birthright inherited all of these beautiful things that Abraham had secured through his faith in God. And so we see a scene here in Genesis chapter 26 where Abraham is no more and the son is now in charge. And he has to learn how to begin to use these benefits and carry on the lineage of his father and see the promises of God come through him to his people as the nation of Israel begins to grow. Genesis chapter 26, verse 12 through 15, begin to speak of a troubling situation that Isaac soon encounters. Isaac planted crops in the land and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord had blessed him. The man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants, the Philistines envied him. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. And if you go on and you read further into the chapter of Genesis chapter 26, you'll find that there became a real war and dispute in the land over the water rights. And eventually, Isaac came to the place where the work and the inheritance and the water rights that had been secured by his father were no longer working for him. There came a day when Isaac had to, in a sense, get a shovel out and began to dig new wells and tap down into the depths of the soil and extract from it something for his own usage in that of his people and cattle. My friends, that is one of the first lessons that I have learned and am continuing to learn. The trait of a disciple is that you have to learn how to dig into God and find something in Him for yourself. 
It's wonderful to show up here and receive a sermon on a Sunday morning. It's wonderful to put on uh, something online and hear an encouraging word. But there comes a time in all of our life, especially if you are a disciple and you are following Jesus Christ and he is leading you into treacherous territory where the words of others don't don't, don't have the same weight any longer. The, the things of the past that you might have been able to benefit from, they seem distant from you. And unless you have the ability to dig down deep into the soil which is Christ and find something in Him for you and yourself, my friends, you will have nothing to give other people. And there have been so many environments where I have been, where it has been barren, it has been dry. I couldn't look to anyone else who had dug a well previously. I couldn't find a water source that anybody had tapped into before. All I could find was famine and death and idolatry and wickedness and darkness. And in those moments, it revealed to me how shallow my own walk and life was. And I had to fall on my knees and say, God, let me find something in you. Let me dig down deep into who you are and find something in my relationship, in my worship, in my belief, in, in, in my pursuit. Find it in you, Father, that a well can be opened up and everything I need for my own encouragement, everything I need for my own strength, everything that I need for my own endurance will come straight from your mouth. Your words are life, God. Maybe some of you are in situations here today and you're looking to someone else to provide you the answer. Maybe you came to church today hoping that this visiting speaker could provide some answer for you. I've got sad news for you today. I have nothing to offer. But I know where you can find it. You can find it on your knees in prevailing prayer. You can find it as you pour out your soul before the Lord in worship before Him. As you stay there in a surrendered place of kneeling before His throne and say, God, I've got to have something in you and you alone. And for the person who learns how to dig that well, There is no obstacle, there is no address on this planet where you cannot go and dig and find something in the depths of Christ and extract from his rich resource and see your life become a beacon of light and a wellspring for people to partake of and see and taste and know that God is good. Dig. Oh, well, not just one, but learn how to do it as a lifestyle and see God flow through your life in powerful ways. Trait number two, disciples change their environments. Disciples change their environments. Psalm chapter 84, it's a beautiful psalm. It says this. Just verses 5 through 7, blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. 
as they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. The Valley of Baca is a real physical location. It's located in the Sinai Desert, if you know your geography. It was a trade route that was established between Jerusalem and Egypt. And it was known as one of the most fiercest ways to go because of the desolate journey that was required for weeks on end passing through barren land where there were no wells, there was no water. The water that you needed for your journey, you had to carry it with you. To be able to survive the hot winds of the Sinai, to navigate through those deserts and finally make it into the fruitful Nile there in Egypt. It was a place of treachery. But here the Bible speaks to a band of people. He speaks to to you and I, to disciples, that somehow disciples, because they know how to find strength in their God, have the ability to make the most barren and driest places bloom like a desert and see pools of living water come to the surface and change a barren land into a fruitful place. My friends, disciples know how to change their environment. So many times in the places where we're at, in the difficulties that we face, in the challenges of relationships and money and work and career and all that surrounds us, we so many times can think, if my environment were different, oh, then things, then I would be different, then I could change. But all of these factors are coming against me. They're caving in on my life and they are making me into a person that I don't want to be. My friends, that's not a disciple. A disciple has the ability to extract from the depths of the soil through their relationship with God and bring living water into their own heart and life and then see a pool open up and change their environment wherever they are. You might say, well, pastor, that kind of takes the excuses. Away from me. You bet it does. (laughs) And it puts it right back where it should be. Into the place of our relationship with Christ. So not only are we called to go into treacherous places and there find something in God for our own strength and survival, but beyond that we are called to go into the dark places and radiate light. We are called to go into the barren places that are hot and void of a knowledge of God and there bring the revelation of Christ and who he is and change their environment. This is exactly the ministry of Jesus Christ. That while we were dead in our sin and trespasses, while we were enslaved in bondage by the wicked one, God sent his own son to change the environment and to bring us into the kingdom of his marvelous light.
It is the hallmark of Christ, and it is the hallmark of those who follow Christ, his disciples. Oh, don't survey your surroundings and say, oh, if it were different here, then I would be different. No, you be the change. You say, how? I don't have it. I would agree you don't, nor do I, but you have Christ. And in him you have an inexhaustible storehouse of the fullness of God that is designed to flow through your life, not only for your own benefit, but to turn deserts into places of springs and pools. As we climb mountains in the Himalayas, we encounter groups and people groups who are completely and absolutely void of who Jesus is. They can survey the mountains around them, and as Revelation will tell us, they have a, I'm sorry, uh, Romans will tell us, they have a general revelation given to them by the creation of this world that there is a God, but a specific revelation into their heart as to who this Christ is and who the Creator is, they are void of. That's why how blessed are them, the feet of them that go and bring good news. How will they hear unless someone is sent? There is a need and a design by God through the life of a disciple to go and to declare. And as you declare, you declare not with just word, but you declare with deed and with action. And you declare by changing the environment in bringing in the hope and light and revelation of God, which will turn any barren place into a fruitful valley, even the valley of Baca can become a place of springs. We have to be so careful in our Christian circles that we don't equate the disciples into some special category of just extreme followers of Christ. And if you want an extreme life, then you get in this category and you'll gladly wear the label of disciple. But if you're not ready for that extreme life, then you can just be a normal Christian. My friend, there is no choice or categories in Christianity. You're either fully in with Christ, you're a sheep, or you're a goat. There is one road that Christ goes down. And the road that he goes down, he heads into darkness. He heads into treacherous places because he changes environments. I think of the story of Jonah found in chapter 2 verses 1 through 2. It's here in your notes. Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me and out of the belly of Sheol. If you don't know that word Sheol, that's the Hebrew word for hell. Out of hell I cried and you heard my voice. And the final Verse of the chapter 2, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. What would change Jonah's environment? (laughs) It's when he, from the depths of a place of darkness, from the depths of a place of what he felt was all alone and abandoned, he found something in his heart through his union with God in his cry, in his worship, in his prayer, that all of a sudden that connection to Christ changed his environment. 
crying from the depths of Shoal, the depths of hell in one moment, to standing on dry ground with a mission of God in front of him in a city called Nineveh. Wow. You can change your environment. Trait number three, disciples encourage themselves. We've got to hurry here. Disciples encourage themselves. I would encourage you later to read the text, the full story of found in 1 Samuel chapter 30. It's the story of when when, uh, David goes into battle with his men. They head off to defeat uh, or to engage in battle against the enemy. As they're on their horses and they are um, attempting to bring a great victory for the children of Israel, they look back over their shoulder and they see smoke ascending in the distance. David's mighty men are with him, and they say, David, looks like something's happening, and that, looks, that location looks like Ziklag. That's our home village. That's where our wives and our children are. And sure enough, David gets his men to do an about-face, and they run back, and they crest the hill, and they look down into the valley, into their city of Ziklag, and they see that it is burnt to the ground. As they go into the city, each man dismounts their horse, they run to their house, and they see that all of their possessions are burnt to the ground, their children are carried away, their wives are gone, and everything they know is wiped out. The Bible gives an account in 1 Samuel chapter 30 that every man cried until he had no more tears. And if that weren't enough, here is David standing over the burning embers of his own dwelling, his own wife gone, his own children gone, all of his possessions burnt to the ground. And David looks up and all of his men are surrounding him and they're holding stones because they want to take his life and kill him. Can you think of a more difficult place? (laughs) Can you think of a more challenging environment where all of your family is wiped out and your band of brothers, your closest men who you've been to battle with all your life are now wanting to take your life? Bad day, to say the least. But you see, David, he knew how to dig a well. David knew what to do in a dark place. David knew what to do when the environment was all against him. And the Bible says right here in this chapter that David began to raise his arms to the Lord. And with his mouth he began to sing to the Lord and he encouraged himself in the Lord. In the darkest of places. For Jonah it was in the belly of the well. For others throughout the Bible, it was in a, in a pit with lions or some other place. For David, it was here in the city of Ziklag. David began to encourage himself. David went to the well. And he began to draw out of his union with God in his relationship with his creator. And he began to extract from somewhere deep down inside of him from a reservoir that he had been built over time in his relationship with God. And David began to sing to the Lord. And the Bible says that David encouraged himself. 
David strengthened himself in the Lord. And pretty soon those men that had surrounded him dropped their stones and they lifted their hands and they began to sing with David and worship God. And God spoke to those men through the voice of David and said, go back and pursue the enemy and take back from the enemy everything that they took from you and even more. And one of the greatest military victories ever recorded in the Bible is there because one man knew how to dig a well knew how to get a hold of God in the darkest of hours. My friends, it's the trait of a disciple. David was out there pursuing and advancing the kingdom as God had told him to. And it encountered a challenge in advancing the purposes of God. We can be out there doing the will of God, carrying out his purposes. And still find great turmoil. But in the midst of that, if we know how to find God, we can bring the greatest victory to our lives and the greatest victory to those around us. Trait number three, disciples know how to encourage themselves. Trait number four, disciples disentangle themselves. If you want to, turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4. It says here, No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs. One version says, No good soldier entangles himself with the affairs of this world. Soldiers have the ability, disciples live with a keen awareness of the things of this world that they could become entangled with, that keep them bound and tethered to a stump of inactivity from pursuing and being used by God in his mission in this world. How many of you know it's not difficult to become entangled with this world, to become entangled in debt, to become entangled with self-interest, to become entangled with relationships that are not God-honoring, to become entangled with just simply our own stuff and our own desires. But disciples, soldiers, stay disentangled from the things of this world because they know they are simply passing through this life and their intent on, is on pleasing the one who has enlisted them. I want to encourage you here this morning, in a place, a beautiful place like Seoul that we live in, that's surrounded by the trappings of materialism and more and more and more, and not just Seoul, but any zip code or address on the planet has those trappings. They can lure you in 
And all of a sudden you become entangled with the things of this world. And even if God were to come and tap you on the shoulder and say, follow me over here, it's hard because we become so entangled with the affairs of this life. Disciples disentangle themselves with the things of this world. Trait number five, we're almost done. Disciples exchange exchange their ambition. Romans chapter 15, verses 18 through 20, these are Paul's words. He goes on to speak of the purposes that God has called him and that God will accomplish incredible things to the Gentiles by word and deed, power and signs and wonders and the Spirit of God. But he says this, and I've got it highlighted in your notes. He says this, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel, and thus I make it my ambition. So we see here that Paul is willing to work to grow a new ambition. I'm going to make this thing that God is presenting to me. I'm going to make that my ambition. I'm going to choose to center my life around this thing, not around this other thing called me and what I need in this world, in what I look out for, in my own interest, in my own security, in my own retirement, in my own climbing the ladder, in my own resume. No, I'm going to make this my ambition. I'm going to elevate this above all else. And we find it right here. Paul's chief ambition. I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named. In other words, my ambition is to head for the barren place. My ambition is to head for the darkest place I can find and there make Christ known. I'm going to exchange my ambition, my hopes, my desires, my dreams, and I'm going to make that my ambition. Christ in making his glorious name known throughout this world. It's a challenge to you and I, but it comes with the package of discipleship. I know it's a strong message this morning, but it's really not my message. It's the Bible. It's our master. It's our savior who is inviting you and I down a road that he invites us to participate with him in. As pilgrims in this world, traveling through this world is not our own, but we are looking to a city whose builder and maker is God, and we are following Christ regardless of the consequences. We are disciples who head for dark areas, who head for areas where Christ is not known. For me, that's the high peaks of the Himalayas. For you, it might be your break room where Christ is not known. For you, it might be that door down the hallway 
in your apartment complex where Christ is not known. For you, it might be someone else that you know lives in darkness and is enchained by the enemy. And yet God wants to change your ambition and make it to make His name glorious in all of the earth. We don't have time to go on to the other 45 traits of a disciple that I have in my notes because our time is drawn to an end. But these are the top five that I pulled out for you today. By no means have I achieved all of these in my life, and I hope I haven't come across that way, but I know this. I've been in dark places. I'm not afraid of those dark places because I found if I want to see Christ manifest, if I want to see His glorious light shine, oh, the best place to go is to the darkest place I can find. If I want to see His power demonstrated, to see those who are held captive set free, oh, that all I need to do, do is go find people who are enshackled by the lies of the enemy. If I find them, if I find those dark places, and I simply call upon the Christ that I know in me, and I know, as Paul would say in Galatians 2.20, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives inside of me. And the life that I now live in this flesh, I live by faith daily in the Son of God who gave his life for me. Galatians 2.20. In those places, I get to walk into I get to have confrontation with witch doctors. I get to have confrontations with those who are possessed by evil spirits. Oh, and in those moments, I get to see the greatest feats of God in His glorious light and kingdom. Because God in Christ head for treacherous areas. Oh, What path are you on? Are you following Christ down His path? His invitation comes to you today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your words. We find here in the scriptures, there's so much more. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that that is here to help our hearts and bring conviction where we need it, to bring encouragement where we need it to bring discipline and reproof where we need it, to hopefully pry us and pry our grip off of the things of this world and disentangle ourselves from the affairs of this life and live to please you and you alone. God, embrace us in this journey of discipleship. Let us follow you regardless of the consequences. And Father, I pray this morning for people in the room who might feel like they're in a dark place, who might feel like they are being surrounded by the enemy. They feel abandoned. They feel alone. They feel like they don't know if they can make it. They're praying maybe, God, for just a change in circumstances. But I pray even above all of that, God, you would teach each of us how to dig a well how to go down deep and find something in your word something in who you are 
something in worship, something in prayer, something in our knees. And from that place, we would find a reservoir that has no end. And from that wonderful wellspring, we can be fed, we can be strengthened, we can be encouraged, and we can become a conduit of life and life-giving power to bring change to our world. Father, I pray this in your precious name, in the name of Jesus. Amen.